Hello and welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for all of us who are looking for faith beyond the fences. I'm glad you're listening today. This is episode five of the podcast, and we have a special treat for you listeners today. I I have gone to the ends of the earth to find a guest host for today's podcast, and I have found her uh, in the one and only Anna Webb. So welcome to the podcast, Anna. Hi, thanks. What is with this bit you're doing <laughs> with me and my sister where you feel like you have to prove just, how far you've gotten I just want our listeners your... to know how dedicated <laughs> we are to, you know, bringing the very best in the world of podcasting. So you might know Anna um, from uh, Remember That Time and Historical Podcast. You may have also recognized um, that you've already met her sister, Amanda, who was uh, guest host on episode three of the podcast. And so now we're kind of completing the triumvirate of podcasting webs <laughs> here today. That's one way to put it. That's one way to put it. So today we're going to talk about um, language. And the reason that, that Anna and I thought this would be an interesting topic here for Accidental Tomatoes is because we are both, in a way, linguists. We're writers, sort of. We, <laughs> we craft in... Um, in the medium of words and language. Well, I did go to school for it. I can't say that I do it a lot. Sometimes I do, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're in the communications sort of business, yeah. which is about... Or, and communications is sort of a broader way to talk about how we yes. talk about language. So, um, a few weeks ago on my blog, uh, at joewebwrites.com, uh, I had written a piece about how a lot of times our language for God can actually become an idol of itself, right? So so that we're, we kind of can get to the point where the language we use to represent God kind of gets in our way of actually having an experience of God. And so we were kind of talking about this offline, you know, as we were thinking about um, how to craft this podcast. And you had mentioned that maybe going a little bit further with this idea of language as a barrier to people, right? Was yes. sort of what we were talking about. So why don't you talk a little bit at first about, if, is there some specific language that you find to be, you know, kind of particularly difficult to deal with? Um, and just, I guess, for some background too, right? You, you grew up in the church like yes. a lot of us did and currently are not, no. you know, actively involved in a church other than when you come home and go with us occasionally. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think part of the reason that you've made some of the choices you've made is because of some of the language that the institutional church can use sometimes, which maybe is particularly kind of hurtful or, or exclusivistic yeah. or, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's, I'm sure we'll get into some more specific terms, but I would say for me, it's a lot of the attitude of the terms, if that makes sense. Sure. It becomes sort of exclusionary. And I think, um, so let's say, for instance, I mentioned this to you when I was talking to you about the idea of talking about language. Um, let's say, let's talk about when we use light versus dark. Right. We use this a lot in the language that that surrounds the church and the 
the Bible and texts that we use. But why, like, it always drove me a little bit crazy that we would always associate dark with bad and light with good. Mm. Now, logistically, it makes sense. Right. Right. Something is dark and you shine light on it and you can see it. I understand that. But then you think about if I had dark skin and that was all I heard, I then associate my physical appearance with bad because all I've heard all my life is that dark is bad. So the church uses language like this, and this is just one example, and it starts to feel alienating to certain people. Now, that's not one that alienates me specifically because I don't have the experience of having dark skin, but I know that it feels that way to people that I do know that have darker skin. Right. And and then, and then kind of, uh, you know, just to use, to kind of stay on that specific example in sort of a meta sense, Mm -hmm. right. That a lot of that language has driven a lot, not only of people with darker skin, maybe feeling like they're being equated with badness, but people with lighter skin using that as an excuse to subjugate and oppress and marginalize. Right. Because, they see themselves perhaps as the people of the light, right? Yes. That they have this sense of, I don't know, um, agency or dominion um, simply because of the lightness of their skin. Yes. Right? So, so it kind of goes, that language can go both ways, right? Yeah. And it's not something that, you know, I don't believe that that's the intent when people in the church use, use that language. But the fact is that language affects us. Yes. Whether we're thinking of it in that specific context or not, it affects how we think. The words that we hear affect our brain and therefore our perception of the world. Right. So. Yeah. And just, you know, again, I I like this example. So I want to kind of stick with it for for a few minutes because some folks might be out there listening and say, well, how else are we supposed to refer? Right. right? Because because all we have is language. All we have is language. And to me, as a, as a writer and as a preacher and speaker, a lot of times with stuff like this, it can really be as simple as a brief word of explanation mm-hmm. that helps you define what you mean by this language. So rather than making assumptions, which is one of the very dangerous things we do with language, and yes. we'll, we'll probably get into this a little bit more later as we go along, we make assumptions that people know what we mean, for mm-hmm. instance, when we talk about Jesus being a light that shines into the darkness. Like, we have no intent no. To, to demean or belittle anyone or, to, or to, on the other hand, to raise anyone up, you know, to mm-hmm. any particular station. Um, but we can avoid those misunderstandings by really simply saying, so this is a metaphor, right? Yeah, that, and we're talking about physical brightness, yes. a physical light that you switch on yeah. rather than bright, like white versus dark yeah. black, you know, like, so just reframing the way we describe it. And I also think like, if we're talking about in the church, in an institution, this that you're, you're talking about is very important, especially when we're talking to kids, Yeah, because that's where it gets that's where it starts. You know, if you start talking to children in these terms before they fully form their personality, you know, before they're what, like five, six, yeah. then that's what they're going to know as their language. And it's the same thing that makes you and I go, well, then what am I supposed to say? Yeah. Because we've yeah. never been taught that, you know, there is a different way of describing this or if there is a way to lead into this to make it very clear that we're we're using these terms 
only to illustrate X, Y, or Z. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, that, that kind of makes me think even about, like, when we get into discussions around, say, political correct language, right? A lot of people will say, what am I supposed to, like, you're telling me I can't say anything. Now, a lot of times that's just really an excuse for saying, I'm used to being able to insult people, and now you're telling me I can't or insult I don't, them. Or I don't want to think too hard about it. I don't want to think too hard about it, right? But there is, a, there is also a sense, just to be really fair, where like people genuinely feel like the more the more we understand how our language affects people, let's, let's kind of be clear that that's kind of what we're talking about uh-huh. here. We are learning more and more and more as a culture that we didn't know, you know, when yeah. I was your age, right? When I was When growing. I was my sister's yeah, age. Yeah, right? Yeah. So... And, and we just have to have a, a, enough humility to say, like, I didn't understand then mm-hmm. what how my language was affecting other people that I didn't have, you know, yeah. that I don't share an experience with. And I also think it's important if we're talking about this specific thing that we understand as people who did not know that we understand when we're being told, hey, maybe say it like this. It's not an attack on us. Exactly. It's about learning and about and, and it's really not that hard. It's really not. Once right. you start trying to, like, use language that will be effective and not hurtful, it's really not that hard yeah, to just do it. Yeah, that's true. So one of the things um, that I've kind of, and it's taken me a while, but one of the things that I've put in practice, like in my own speaking, is I have, I have become very intentional to never use uh, a male pronoun to refer to God. Actually, That's I don't, a big one for I don't use any pronouns to refer to God. And so sometimes that means I create what sounds at first like some fairly awkward sentences. Yes. As in, you know, as if, you know, like when I would say something like, God has inspired God's people to do God's work in God's yeah. world, right? We want to throw pronouns in there just because it sounds so redundant. Well, and you and I, as people who have studied the English language are conditioned to go, that doesn't sound yes, right. Exactly. You're yeah. using one word too much. Cause yeah. that's what we've been taught, which, you know, is true sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, but, but because I've been intentional about that practice and because I have a very specific purpose for using that specific language, like I've gotten more and more comfortable. Like, in fact, now I'll go back and read some things I wrote on my blog, like five, six years ago, mm-hmm. where I would say he in reference to God just in the way that I'd always been taught to do that. And I'll go back and reread those things and say, oh, man, like, I didn't realize that even that recently I was still doing that. Yeah. Um, and now I don't do it anymore. Now, I've also recognized that some people, when they hear me speak that way for the first time, they get a little weirded out by it, you know. Yeah. And um, But, again, it's a process, right? Learning yeah. is always a process. And if you think about it, the... The only reason we use a male pronoun to describe God is because all of the authors of the Bible did it. Right. Was that the I personally believe the Bible was not dictated. It yes. was written, it was inspired. Right. God is not sitting in someone's ear saying, "Write exactly these words." That's not how I yes. I think yeah. of the Bible. So those are pronouns that were chosen by these authors. So how hard is it to then just choose not to use them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And and just kind of thinking in terms of the cultures where those stories originated, right? Yes. These are, you know, we, we know enough about history, you know, outside of biblical history or theological history, religious history, whatever. We know that these were very patriarchal yes. cultures. And so they simply assumed that if there was a supreme being... Mm-hmm 
that they would assign maleness to that supreme being because they made those cultural assumptions for themselves. And again, that doesn't make those ancient people evil. Like we're, we are learning out of where we have been. Right. Right. And, and we're just, you know, really in a minute little slice of history beginning to come out of that kind of patriarchal um, prejudice. Right. Yeah. (laughs) beginning yeah well you know you think about it as they were writing in their context and now we are writing in ours yeah our context is different yes yeah and that doesn't mean that we're saying they were wrong it was just the language they had right which we are now realizing is exclusive to female people right just exclusionary yeah yeah yeah. exclusionary (laughs) is a better word right yeah Yeah. yes there is quite a lot of that Yeah. yeah yeah At Accidental Tomatoes, we're building a community of people looking for ways to find faith and spirituality beyond the walls and fences of the traditional church. While our blog and our podcast are always absolutely free, if you'd like to go deeper with more resources and conversations, we invite you to support us through the Patreon platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can receive bonus content, including a monthly newsletter, patrons-only commentary, and much, much more. Just go to patreon.com slash accidental tomatoes to learn how. And now back to the podcast. So I think that kind of ties back to what we were saying earlier, just with the, the light and dark mm-hmm. example, right? Unintentionally, that language becomes exclusionary, right? Mm-hmm. And like, this is like, I'm a 56 year old white man. This is hard for people like me. Like I recognize that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I recognize that it's difficult for people who have always been told mm-hmm. that things, you know, are are a certain way to now feel like they're being told that was the, 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 the language that I use, the metaphor that I often use for this when I'm in conversations with people is, I know it feels like I'm saying your grandma lied to you. Right. right. Your grandma just didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and that's a whole different thing to say mm-hmm. to recognize that we are learning more and more of the effect of the language that we use on other people, right? Mm-hmm. And and that we owe it to other people to be as kind um and inclusive as we can with our language, right? To not we don't, you know, 56-year-old white men very often and I still like don't know the things that I might unintentionally say that are hurtful to other people. Mm-hmm. All I can do is try to, the best I can not to, and to continue to learn, you know, and to listen to people when they say, you know what, I know you didn't mean this that way, mm-hmm. but here's how I heard it. And just to be open enough and, you know, to have enough humility to say, man, I'm really sorry. I did not intend that and help me find better language mm-hmm. so that I don't do it again. Right? It's hard to not have a knee jerk reaction of feeling defensive. Exactly. Um, just because that we're, we're all conditioned in one way or another because we are white. We're conditioned in a place of privilege. Yes. And therefore we're conditioned to feel offensive or um, offended when someone says something to us that challenges what we have been conditioned for. So that that is extremely apparent when we're challenged about the language that we use. Yes. But if you think about it as I have just been given this bad habit and I know it's deeply ingrained or, in or me, but a I habit can that break we've it. come to learn is bad, right? We didn't but know. But I can yeah. break it. Yes. I can break a bad habit. So while it can be difficult and it's not going to be natural right away, 
you know, it, I feel it's not natural for me to use they, them pronouns. That's difficult for me in my brain. But if it means that somebody's not going to be hurt, and if it means that I'm using a pronoun that means something to someone else, and that's what they, that's who they are, yeah. I'm going to break that habit in myself. Right. And it's not going to be that hard. Yeah. I might slip up, but it's really not that yes. hard. And it's not... Like, it's not an attack on the language or an attack on our educational system. Mm -hmm. It is an evolution, right? Mm -hmm. And and we're constantly evolving in these ways. And, and you know, so we I think that's where that bit of humility comes in to say, we're not the first people to be confronted no. with, with this need to learn how to change our language. And so, you know, try not... Yes, you're right. The knee-jerk reaction is to, to become a bit def defensive mm -hmm. about it. But you can get past that knee-jerk. You don't have to dwell in that knee-jerk reaction. Right, right? You because can... that's not what's important. Uh, how I feel about being told I'm wrong is not as important as the fact that I was wrong. Yeah. And I need to fix the wrong thing that I did. Right. Which is a whole other podcast on, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> the, the, the overemphasis on being right. You know, yeah. being right is a little bit overrated is a whole, maybe a whole new episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can help you with that one. <laughs> So some of the other language that I think maybe some of our listeners here at the Accidental Tomatoes podcast mm -hmm. might be interested in is what we might call kind of insider language yes. in the church, right? Because And listen, the church is not alone. Every group of people has its own lexicon oh, right, of insider I could, language. I could right. spend hours talking about the language that they use in Scientology because it is just... <gasps> oh yeah, there's that. But even like in your workplace. But that's what I'm saying. It's it exists. Yes, everywhere. it exists everywhere. And we, but but for some reason in the church, and again, this this topic of defensiveness kind of comes to the top mm -hmm. here because we seem to get particularly defensive when someone challenges the language that we use. Even you know, just for one example, in the way we do our practices of worship, right? Mm -hmm. There's specific language that we use that we tend to believe has always been used, although that's probably not entirely true. No, we're Methodists. It hasn't been used. <laughs> yeah. John Wesley has changed it. Sure, You yeah. have to be certain. Yeah. Because that's kind of his thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but we get caught in these traditions of the language we use. Yeah. And when someone suggests that maybe, and, and really not even suggests that we change the language, but just that we're aware of how outsiders, for lack of a better term, there again is a piece of language yeah. that's probably not particularly helpful, but people who aren't part of our tradition perceive things that we do in ways that we don't intend. And again, like it's just as simple as an explanation. So I went to this um, hospitality training thing here a few weeks ago. And one of the things they talked about was, you know, these things that we take for granted because we have an audience of people who is almost always the same group of people, like mm -hmm. in a particular church. Oh, yeah. It's almost always the exact same group of people there every week. Mm -hmm. they're, they're neighbors. They're related to each other. They know each other. And we begin to assume that everybody just knows what we mean when we say, for instance, after the offering, right? So we don't even explain mm -hmm. what offering means. Oh, we assume, yeah. right? We just make these assumptions. We're going to sing this thing called the doxology. 
And most of the people in the church don't even know what doxology means. Yeah. But they do know that after the offering plate goes to the front, they stand and sing this song. Yeah. Praise God from whom all blessings flow or something of that. There's more than one doxology. And we never explain for the person who maybe has come in who has never sat in a church before that there's this ritual, this routine that we do. And they're... They have no idea what's going on. I grew up in a church. I don't know what the word doxology is. Oh, yeah. Means. Yeah, exactly. It's just right? in the program. And yeah. I stand up and I sing like I always have. And, yeah. and, and we don't bother to try to define those terms for people. We just do them. And we don't realize how that affects that first-time visitor who is looking for a connection to a mm-hmm. community that's looking for some kind of an experience of the divine that might not even know what that means. Mm-hmm. And we... And we and and again, we don't need to change our language. We just need to give some definition. The other the other kind of language that I was interested in maybe exploring a little bit is uh, it's a little more nuanced. Um, okay. <laughs> so so when when religious people, when Christian people especially, talk about God, talk about Jesus, we use a lot of um, like monarchy type of language like like king king or lord right and you know those are that language those words are really relics of another time well we sort of touched on that before is that the people who wrote those things in the bible were writing from their own context where they had kings and that was a word they used for someone in charge and someone who's powerful yes and so, so another piece of that, and, and this goes maybe more to the specific term Lord, because we just kind of use those things, Lord and King, interchangeably. Uh-huh. But Lord is a word that would have been used in those, in the ancient um, Near Eastern societies, anyhow. Like, that was a society that was based on patronage, right? Which is, again, a specific kind of language. Yeah. But the idea was basically that you earned favor with other people, right? Yes. You you advanced in society by the way you earned favor with other people, right? So these, like our hierarchies are mostly economic in our world today, right? Who has the most yeah. money is who has the most power, right? And it's not that that was not true in those societies, but, but there was this whole culture of um, benefactors, yeah. right? People who would help other people, for a lot of reasons, like some of them very good reasons and some of them maybe a little more nefarious. But, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think what you're talking about with the, um, the idea of like monarchies and how we attach the meaning to that. I mean, lords existed there too. And it comes from yes. this tradition you're talking about. Yeah. But lords, let's say under, I don't know, Henry Eight. Yeah. Would have been probably wealthy landowners who were his friends. And then those people would give some of their land to people and say, I own the land, but you now you yes. live on it. Yes. So they were Therefore, benefactors. I am your lo- and they had yeah. a title. Yes. Lord. Lord whatever. Right. I can't think of a good English lord. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, and that's and that that's how that language evolved, yes. right? It, it evolved from this um, kind of patronage culture mm-hmm. into political 
yes culture right? because it very much became this is a person that i the king had right. given power to yes yeah. yeah yeah so i think we do apply that we i think a lot of people think of god as king jesus as lord in the same way as like henry as king lord whomever as lord right you know what i mean yeah. it's a similar sort of application of the language yes yeah yeah and then and and i think it especially becomes kind of again idolatrous mm-hmm. um when when we start to think about the way we worship jesus mm. this is this is something that Richard Rohr, who I talk about all the time, um, not just on this podcast, but in nearly in every aspect of my life, mm-hmm. ha- has written about a lot recently, this idea that that we have turned Jesus into a religion mm-hmm. as a focus for worship rather than as a, a person to follow, a way of life yes. to follow, right? And, and that lordship kind of language mm-hmm. is part of the language where we've twisted. Jesus never asked to be worshipped. No. He never In demanded fact, he that... sort of was like, mm, yeah. that's not really what I'm here yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we've, we have, humanity has created all of these sort of theological hoops that we jump through to make yes. this connection, this, this Trinitarian connection, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. which once again begins to use patriarchal, male-dominated language yes. for something that transcends gender. Yeah. But we, we've, We've tied all that up in knots to create this way that we worship Jesus rather than follow right. Jesus, right? So again, it's it's an, a function of language. It's an application of language mm-hmm. that has created something entirely unintentional. And again, I think, comes back to creating an idol out of something that we were never meant to worship, but we were meant to, to follow. follow. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground in a very short time. (laughs) And that feels like that's probably enough for one episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. So thanks. Thanks, Anna Webb, for being our second guest host on the podcast and for shedding some light on this issue of the language that we use um, in church world and otherwise. (laughs) Yeah. So... So thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. You can find us online at AccidentalTomatoes.com. And across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. So be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram for up-to-the-minute updates of everything that's going on in our community. You can find me, Joe Webb, on my website where I blog at joewebwrites.com. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at joewebwrites. And how about you, Anna? Where can people find you if they're interested in the work you're doing? Well, I'm not doing that much work, if I'm completely honest. But you can listen to my podcast. It's called Remember That Time, an historical podcast. I do it with my sister. And we are on iTunes and Google Play and SoundCloud. And um, you can follow us on Twitter at RTTPod. And if you want to find my personal um, pages, I am at The Real Anna Webb pretty much everywhere. Across the world, <laughs> yes. Well, if you have ideas or suggestions for future topics, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us again on our social media channels or email us at accidentaltomatoes 
at gmail.com. And please, if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and review us on whatever outlet you use for your podcast, iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen. That will help other people find us and connect with our community and participate in this ongoing conversation. So keep on growing outside the fences and join us next time for the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.